Friends, we're in the second week of our Abide series that we're doing. That's the global and uh, sermon series for us around the nations. And what a privilege it is to be part of something like that. To think that this message of abiding in Jesus and who the Word is and what it means is being preached in 81 nations across the world. I mean, just amazing to be part of that. That somewhere in the Philippines, someone is hearing, Abide. Um, know that the word became flesh for you. Somewhere in Botswana, the same is happening. In the United States, in Australia, New Zealand, um, Thailand, um, Uganda. It's just, it's, I'm always overwhelmed just thinking, Lord, thank you that I'm a part of something that's bigger than myself. And even my little circle that I call Wesley's life. Um, and this whole series is, is birthed out of the Gospel of John. And what I love about this, John makes it very clear to us why we have to read his Gospel. In, in John 20, verse 31, he says, but, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, you may have life in His name. So have you ever wondered why to read John? So that you may know who Jesus is, you may know He's the Son of God, you may know He's the Messiah, and that you may have life in His name. How beautiful is that? Last week, Jonathan kicked us off, and he just established that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh. And Jesus not only teaches us how to live, but actually came and demonstrated it and showed us by becoming man on earth. Now, today, we're going to jump into John chapter 5, and I want to start with verse 24. Now, verse 24 says the following, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my Word and believes in Him who sent me has eternal life, he does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. How beautiful is that? So, you see the words truly, truly. Now, maybe a Bible reading tip. If you see any repetitive um, writings in the Word, this is the Bible trying to say, pay attention. Put away your phone. Block out those thoughts and pay attention. This is Jesus himself saying, come closer. You really have to get this. So whenever you see an amen, amen, surely, surely, truly, truly, whenever there's repetition, the Bible is saying, wake up and listen. Because what I'm about to say has the potential to change your life. And then we read and it says, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. So how do we gain eternal life? Do we just hear the word and continue with our lives as normal? No. We hear and believe. Hear and believe. What are you doing here this morning? It's great you're hearing the word, but are you believing it? Are you believing in him who has established it? You can attend church for 50 years and hear the word and not walk into eternal life. It's when we hear and believe we have eternal life. Now, when we think of eternal life, we oftentimes think that's, that's something that's happening after I die. The next phase of existence. Now, what's interesting, the, the expression or the word that's used here in this particular piece of Scripture for eternal life is actually the Hebrew word, which, which is zoe. And zoe means abundant life, life in fullness in the here and now and the next to come. Now, why is that important? A lot of us think eternal life is something we're waiting for one day when we die. Friends, the Bible's teaching us that you and I have access to eternal life right now, right here. When you and I believe and hear, we actually step into eternal life. And this should encourage us, friends. This should make you excited and, and almost in a way radical because that means if you hear and believe, you've passed into life, you've left death, you've left the judgment, you are in life. 
you're already in eternity. Welcome to the fun side of the island. <laughs> Friends, if you hear and believe you're already part of eternity, my question is, what are we doing with it? Are we still now just one day? The Bible promises that right now, right here, you and I have access to eternal life and to live freely and express something about God that transcends death, that transcends suffering. That's why this is important for us to grasp. You don't have to wait for eternal life to begin at death. It begins the day you hear and believe. Before I go into the rest of the scripture, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning, and I thank you that each one of us are here because you ordained it to be, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that you will guide us through your scriptures. And I pray may you speak to us so clearly. May your word accomplish what it set out to do long ago, and that is to inspire, um, cut us deeply in our hearts, convict us about who you are. Jesus, we do this so that we may know you, so that we may worship you, and so that we may live for you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I grew up in a very um, unique province in South Africa, uh, probably one of the most underrated but yet beautiful provinces in South Africa, and I know you actually can't wait to plan your next holiday to this province. I'm not speaking about the Western Cape, I'm speaking about Limpopo province. All right, yes, there we go. There's some excitement in the room. Come on. Um, so I grew up in a, in a city, yes, it's a city, it's not a town. Uh, for all of those that uh, thought different, called Polokwane, all right? And our cool slogan is, we are the city of stars. Fatsua Pretoria, all right? Um, so I grew up there. Uh, what a great place to grow up and yeah, enjoying the basics of a small town, but also a bit privileged that, it, that there's more than 12 robots, so um, you could learn to drive properly. But I remember growing up primary school and high school, um, Coming to Pretoria, coming to the big city was like a thing. You know, it's like Monday, you're already telling all your friends, are we going to Pretoria this weekend? You know, because it's, it's a thing. I don't know, all of you grew up in small towns, right? Coming to the big city. Um, now, I'm thankful we, had, we have a lot of family that lived here, so that always meant seeing my aunts and my cousins and my uncles and, and later on my grandparents. So there was massive excitement, but it was also, we're going to Mainland. So something you might not know about me, I enjoy shopping, I really do. I have to take my wife to the, to the shops. Uh, she's the one that sits outside while I'm inside shopping. She, she sits on the phone and I'm like, oh, just give me five more minutes and then... Um, it's okay, I'm secure about it. Anyway, um, yeah, so... And I think because there was always this excitement, you know, it's like the vibe of this big city, you know, there's, it's almost like the grass is greener and everything's brighter and there's just hope. There's almost like a bit of faith that once we get to Pretoria, the meals taste better, right? The, the, the streets just drive so much easier. We all have a place like that somewhere, right? Where you know, just get there. And there's expectation and excitement and a level of faith where if I just get there, everything's going to be okay. Now, in John 5, we find almost a similar thing. There's this place called the Pool of Bethesda, which is in Jerusalem. And this was a place where, which was rumored to be that once a year or every now and then, an angel would descend from heaven and come and stir the water in the pool. And then if you get into the water while it's being stirred, you will be healed. 
So urban legend or maybe something, um, or maybe true. I mean, we know God used many different ways to heal people in the Word, but there was like this expectation and hope at this pool, man, your healing waits. So this was a place where a lot of sick people just lived and hanged out because, you know, we just don't know when that angel's coming. But what's interesting about this place, it was also at the sheep's gate. Now, in Afrikaans, we call that a kraal. I don't know if you've been on a farm recently, but a sheep's gate is not the best place to be. Because where there's livestock, there's things that livestock do after they've eaten. And they don't do it in a very orderly manner. So imagine just this picture. You've got this pool with a multitude of sick people and animals just looking around. That's where they brought the animals to prepare them for sacrifices. So just imagine the sounds, imagine the smell, imagine the atmosphere. You've got all these sick people and all these animals. It's funny where hope sometimes drives us, eh? It's funny how hope sometimes puts us in places that just by the naked eye would say, I'd never go there. But yet, this is where we find ourselves this morning in Scripture. So let's read together John 5, verse 5 to verse 11. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there for a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. So a massive miracles happened. This guy that's been lame or uh, invalid for 38 years is walking. And all of a sudden, this upsets a few people. So you've got this miracle, you've got the cows, you've got the sheep, you've got other sick people, and you've got the religious leaders that are angry that someone is doing something you're not supposed to do. Quite an interesting setting. I don't know about you, but 38 years is a long time to wait for healing, Right? It's a really, really long time. And what I find fascinating, now Jesus' reputation as as a miracle worker had already started picking up at this point, that all these sick people around this pool, yet no one singled out Jesus. Just think about it. Here people are around this pool, and Jesus is walking around them. They kind of should have an idea who he is, and no one says, hey, hold on. I know we got this pool thing right now, but I heard something about this guy. Just interesting. And then this just leads me to the struggle that I, that I know I struggle with. And I'm, because I struggle with it, I can safely assume that some of you struggle with it. Is sometimes we've got our idea of how things must work. Like, it's, it's my way. Then we fail to recognize the way. They were so focused on getting healing on their way, they didn't notice the way. Who else has just got that struggle between it's my way or Jesus' way? And I just feel like sometimes I'm caught up in this battle from doing things like I want it. But hold on. Maybe I should single out Jesus because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And then that leads me to the thought that how good have we gotten on waiting on things except Jesus? We're actually quite well good with waiting. You wait a whole month your salary so that you can go and spend it. Church, and I believe there are people here this morning that you are waiting. You're waiting at this pool. You're waiting for a more convenient season. 
You're waiting for a dream or for a vision. You are waiting for signs and wonders. You are waiting to be compelled. You are waiting for a particular feeling to feel a certain way. You are waiting for a celebrity. You are waiting for someone else or you are waiting for someone else to come do it for you. You are waiting that your work will wait instead of looking at the one who says, I am the way so that you can be changed and transformed. So caught up in, I'm, no, I'm, I'm waiting here. We, that we failed to look and say, but hold on, Jesus is here. So if we think of this, this pool of Bethesda, we all have our own pool of Bethesda, don't we? Where we enjoy waiting. Now what does this, this pool represent in our lives? Something, someone, somewhere, where you put your faith in to receive life. A source of life apart from Jesus. It's a place where you go and wait, but this time, it's going to work this time. I'm going to be filled up this time. I'm going to receive purpose this time. I'm going to receive my healing, my breakthrough. So what do we do? Okay, I'm going to wait around my bank statement. I'm going to wait around my money. I know it's failed me a thousand times, but this new job opportunity, man. This new relationship. Friends, we wait for weekends. Weekends have become our pool of Bethesda. Holidays have become our pool of Bethesda. December has become your pool of Bethesda. What is your pool of Bethesda this morning where you find yourself just waiting? No, this is how it's going to happen. I'll get my healing like this. What amazes me is that Jesus approaches this man who's been lying I guess there's probably things growing on him already. He's been so long around this pool. That Jesus doesn't stay away from the smelly, desolate places in our souls and in our lives. He walks through the stench, through the rubbish, through the garbage, through everything else to get to us. How grateful I am not for that. That Jesus doesn't say, no, get yourself half clean and then I'll come. In fact, Jesus doesn't even wait for us to acknowledge him. He says, I'll come get you. Hey, you. How grateful I am just to understand that the love of God will find you in your worst place you've ever been. And through all this waiting, all these sick people, through all of this waiting, something very interesting happens. Jesus asks a question. Verse 6 says, Jesus asks the man, do you want to be healed? Now put yourself in that uh, situation quickly. You've been there for 38 years. Um, it's like, look, I'm not here because I'm enjoying the view. Um, this isn't my idea of having a house by the dam. Um, too much stuff happening around this pool. And, I mean, 38 years is a long time. So he's, he probably has a status. Like, you know, oh, no, that's, that's the lame guy spot. And he's been there a long time. And Jesus comes in, hey, do you want to be healed? I'm like... It's almost like insulting to ask. It's like, duh. I mean, hello. <laughs> I'm waiting for the finger to stir the water. I mean, it's almost like an insult. And you might even look at this and say, Jesus, I know you're all knowing. I know you're God, but what a stupid question. I've sometimes in my life had God ask me questions. I think, Lord, all powerful, almighty, why am I asking this question? But I think if we sometimes just move past these things, we actually miss the incredible depth of what Jesus is trying to establish. 
what we might deem as stupid questions, God is saying, no, I want to push through your idea of who I am and I want to get to your heart. I want to cut straight through all the nonsense that's going on inside and around you so that I can get to your soul. So he asks, do you want to be healed? See, the church, is, church the problem with us is we get comfortable in our suffering. We get comfortable in our sin. Because in some way or shape or form, sin becomes a place of safety. I'm, I'm used to this. I'm comfortable. Or my situation, I know it's a bad situation, but at least, at least I'm, it's familiar. I'm used to being depressed. Been depressed for 10 years, so it's kind of a, and anything that draws me out of it, ooh, I, I, it, it, bad situations oftentimes become comfortable to us. And friends, why? Because we comfort creatures. We don't want to grow. Be honest. You don't want to be challenged. I don't want to be challenged. I don't want to be corrected. It's not comfortable. And if I could rephrase this question, I believe in a way that will suit us today, it's maybe not do you want to be healed. I believe what God's asking is, do you really want to change? Do you really want to get out of here? Do you really want to be healed? Do you really want to be set free from that addiction? Because, friends, if we are really hungry for it, you and I will do whatever means necessary to get out of that situation so that we can walk in freedom. I have a privilege of working with a lot of young men, and a lot of them come to Israel. I've got a porn addiction. I've got a masturbation addiction. Lust is just taking over my life. And I say, that's terrible. Jesus has paid a price that you will walk in victory. Okay, can I ask you what? Do you want? Do you want to be free? Yes, yes, I want to be free. Okay, delete Instagram and Facebook. Whoa. What do you mean? Well, if you really want to be free, get rid of the things that are just kind of suppressing you down in that hole. But where is I'm 24. I can't not have Instagram. Otherwise, I'm going to be free from this addiction. I'm so hungry. Okay. Maybe say no to the drinks after the golf game. Don't go on that hunting trip this year. Oh. I don't know if I can do that. Do you really want to change? Friends, and you and I will be prepared to do anything. To reevaluate our habits, reevaluate our convictions, and say, okay. Not my way, the way. So he has this encounter, he has this question, and what's even more mind-boggling is this man's response. 38 years, cripple, lying next to dog and cattle manure. Not a great life. You would think this man would say, Jesus, please. What does he do? Verse 7. I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm going, another steps before me. <laughs> we have excuses for our slavery. Now, but you don't understand. I'm, I'm just, I'm lonely. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know my past. You know how I grew up. No, my connect group leader didn't do that chapter in the one-to-one. She didn't greet me at church. I just said, no, this is not my church. We've got these excuses. No, my cappuccino was cold. Right? We, we come up with these excuses. 
I mean, instead of responding to an invitation to freedom, it says, no, you know what, I, I do, but other people just push it in front of me. Friends, something I'm really trusting for in my own life, and I trust it for us as a church, that we will have excuse-proof faith in 2022. We will take responsibility. We'll embrace a life of repentance. Say, Lord, no more excuses. It's not my old church's fault that I can't commit to church anymore. It's not the failure of my past connect group that I don't want to be a disciple. No more. Excuse-proof my faith, Lord. Now, the last time I gave money, they abused it. No more. No more. No more excuses, friends. Verse 8, Jesus said to him, even with this excuse, oh, the grace of God is good. Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed, and walk. What couldn't happen in 38 years next to that pool happened in a moment with Jesus. 38 years of self-pity, self works, trying to do it his way, superstition, weird beliefs, bad theology, what it couldn't achieve in 38 years, achieved in a moment when Jesus spoke a word giving life. Why? Because when we hear the word and believe the word, you and I have eternal life. That starts today. We just struggle to receive the word. Right? Now, there might be there's multiple answers to this. Number one, it's work. Does it come naturally to set aside time in your schedule to spend time in God's Word? Especially with phones and... It's hard work putting out assigned time to receive this Word. R.C. Sproul, who's a famous theologian, says the following. He says, We fail in our duty to study God's Word, not so much because it's difficult to understand... Not so much because it's dull and boring, but because it's work. Our problem is not a lack of intelligence or a lack of passion. Our problem is that we are lazy. That hurts. Because when I read this, it's like, oh, wait. It's kind of, that's me. It's like there's the weekend's dishes to be washed. And all of a sudden, when I'm supposed to read my Bible, ah, I'll go and do the dishes. Let me be a good husband. <laughs> right? Friends, it could be because of pride or hurt. I don't really need God speaking into this. I've got my business. I've got my family. I don't really need God's word for this. Or it could be hurt. The last six months, I've lost two incredibly precious people in my life, my father and my aunt. And I've got a third family member on a ventilator in the ICU. But sometimes the hurt in our lives makes it so tough to engage with the Word of God. Because no matter how loud you try and make the Word of God, the circumstances just feel like, Lord, it's too loud. That's why, friends, when we sing songs like, Great Are You, Lord, we should make a habit in speaking to ourselves more, not always listening to ourselves. Psalm 103, David writes a whole psalm where he's not feeling it, but he's writing a psalm to command his soul to bless God. Church, can we as a church arise to command our souls above our circumstances and emotions to obey the word of God? 
I'm not saying this because it's easy. It's tough. Just declare God's goodness, but just say, Lord, I just don't know. What does it look like in this season? I'm not saying this because I've conquered. I'm saying this because of where I am right now. But there's a place where we take his word because his word has potential of life in it and declare it and command it over ourselves. I also think in these moments, we actually reject the word of God because we actually don't want the life it promises. You know why? Because if I don't walk in the life, if I'm not walking in the light, I can stay in the dark. And it's much easier to believe lies and come up with excuses while I'm in the dark. I'll figure this out. I'm on myself. Here I am in the dark. And then something strange comes my way and I grab onto it. Because friends, what will happen? If I walk in the life, if I walk into the life that the word promises, light will shine and these lies and excuses will be exposed. But we don't like it. Why? Because it's comfortable in my little darkness with all my excuses that's keeping me here. If that's you, can I ask? Friends, there's nothing that gives us the Zoe life, that abundant life in the word of God, nothing. Maybe you've tried alcohol. Well, it doesn't do anything. See, what sin does, it fails to deliver on the promises it tells us. Sin might make, might tell you, no, I promise you, you'll feel better. You don't. In fact, you feel a hundred times worse. Eternal life, Zoe life. And get this, friends, it doesn't even lie in principles or in practices. Eternal life comes only from hearing the word, believing him, and accepting it. Eternal life comes straight from Jesus. Not in church programs or doing this or doing that. Don't get me wrong, that helps, that contributes. Friends, being here every Sunday, prioritizing, fighting for your spiritual disciplines plays a massive role in this. But that cannot give you eternal life. Jesus is the only one that can unlock that and say, get out of the darkness and walk in the light. Maybe you're sitting here today and you've recently or somewhere in your life ever asked the question, there has to be more to life than this. Can I tell you this morning that there's good news because there is. There's an abundance of life. Eternal life starts the day you and I hear and believe the word of God. So maybe you're sitting in these last years have been rough. It's like there has to be more than life. You are right. We are created with a searching muscle in our hearts to find that. And meanwhile, it's cemented and birthed in ancient truths that have lasted for thousands of years in his word. Verse 9 to 11, also quite interesting what happens. So this man is healed and he picks up his mat. It's quite funny. The one thing that was carrying him for 38 years, he picks up and he starts carrying it. Can you see the victory that Jesus promises us? The one thing that he was so reliant on for 38 years, this bed that he was lying on, in a moment he stands up and he's carrying it. The freedom of Jesus brings our victory. But he gets rebuked because of that. Because on the Sabbath, according to the religious leaders, you're not allowed to carry your bed. Strange. Someone else carried them there on the bed, so you like to carry someone else on the bed, but you're not allowed to carry your own bed. Can you see how religion makes things so complicated. 
So the religious leaders are quite angry. And what's interesting, they, don't, they, they speak to the man who was healed and rebuke him for carrying his bed. It's almost like they missed the whole miracle. Never mind, okay, well, great, well done, you're standing, that's awesome. By the way, you're not allowed to, no, it's like they missed the whole healing. And I'm like, that's strange, why? Another thing that I found strange, this man, like I said, he's got the status. He's probably got, he's probably got the corner office around the pool of Bethesda. You know, he's been there for a while. Why, after his healing, don't we see more people turning away from the pool and going to Jesus? Now, later on in this, in this chapter, we actually find out that Jesus tries and gets himself out there because he never wanted the spectacular to attract people to him. So, yes, Jesus knew, I don't want to really stick around here because people might just want to use me. But there's no response. Church, a miracle can happen right in front of your eyes, but because we are so fixed on false saviors, we, we're distracted from him. The false saver, the false healer, the pool of Bethesda. I'm so focused at looking at this that the miracle work of Jesus is right behind me. I can't even see him. Religious leaders see it. Friends, what does religion do? It blinds us from the power of Jesus. Because how could that person have got it to not be? I've done everything right. I serve in three departments. I put in leave to be at prayer and fast. Religion, friends, the Bible teaches religion hardens our heart towards the power of the Holy Spirit. So get this. False idols, false saviors distract us from Jesus. Religion blinds us from Jesus. No. My money, yes, my money's going to save me. My healing, yes, this next business deal. Come on. Meanwhile, Jesus is performing miracles right behind you, but you're so distracted, you're not even picking up your head. No, this next relationship. I know the last 27 hasn't worked out. Oh, but she's really nice. Yes, she's going to help me walk in my purpose. Meanwhile, Jesus is performing miracles right behind you, but you're so distracted, you can't even see him. What is your pool of Bethesda? That false savior that keeps promising life but underdelivers every single time. What's religion, friends? What I mean by that is any humanly designed thing, like you're not allowed to carry your bed, but someone may carry you. Any system or, or contradicting structure that, that it goes against the grace of God. Religion says you must do this and do this and do this and then you'll gain eternal life. No, it's not about doing things. It's believing in the one that's already done it. It's not doing the right things. It's knowing the right one. Massive difference, friends. Massive, massive difference. And you know, across the world, we see religions not, it's not going so well for religion. Buddhists. Hindus, Muslims, Catholics, Jehovah Witnesses, even Christians who think that going to church every Sunday and doing good deeds would save them. I mean, there's so much religion in the world, yet our world is still falling apart. Zoe life, eternal life, lies in hearing the word of God. Friends, so prioritize your hearing. Whatever's trying to take you away from the Sunday moments, your connect group, your time in the word, whatever's preventing you from hearing, Get rid of it. Do you really want to change? By hearing the word and believing it. 
believing in the one who has spoken it. Within that lies eternal life, and nothing else can give it to us. I'm going to conclude with chapter 5. Verse 28 to 30 says the following. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. Friends, don't wait. Don't wait until, the, until your grave to only hear the words God has spoken to you. Because then it's too late. Think about every dead person will hear. And then the path has been decided. You either will live in joy or in judgment. That's the two ways. And that's why Zoe life, the eternal life that we promise, friends, is crucial that we get it, that it's the here and the now, but it's also in the life to come. I'm either going to be in the resurrection of life or in the resurrection of judgment. Don't wait for the grave to hear and believe in his word. Don't wait for, you know, I'm just hoping somewhere on the hospital bed there's going to be this evangelist that I pray, by the way, is going to be obedient when the Holy Spirit prompts his heart to come to the hospital. Needless to say, I've been disobedient for 60 years. But anyway, let's really hope obedience is going to work in that moment. Don't wait for those last two minutes that hopefully someone will pitch up there, lead me in salvation prayer, and then I'm team A. Eternal life starts now, right now, today. Now, I have this temptation that I think I can go through life without the sustenance of the Word of God. And if I can assume the same, I assume most of us have this assumption. See, we get so busy and distracted, and every gap that we have, we fill with entertainment. We grow spiritually numb and cold. I need to repent of this. You and I have to repent of this. But the most important thing, friends, and I want you to take this, is we might grow weary and frustrated and irritated by hearing the Word of God. Oh, they're talking about lordship again. Talking about discipleship again. Talking about Jesus again. We might grow weary, but God doesn't get weary in delivering His Word to us time and time and time again, even if that means He has to meet you where the cattle die. He has to meet you where all the sick people are. He has to meet you next to a pool that's been promising you lies your whole life. He says, I'll find you. I'm going to keep going. Let's pray this morning. I'm going to ask the question again. What is your pool of Bethesda? What is your pool that keeps promising you prosperity but delivers disappointment? What is the place where you run to for purpose, life, freedom, healing? What is that? This morning I want to give you an opportunity just to repent and say, well, I realize my pool of Bethesda isn't the presence of the king. It's my job. It's my status. It's my fame. It's my money. My family. If you want to, if you want to just have a moment this morning, and say, "Lord, I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry that I've been waiting at the pool of disappointment when the miracle worker is right behind me. I don't know what your pool is. But I'll pray for you. And this will be, do you want to change moment for you? Say, no more. No more, I'm turning away. I'm grabbing onto you, miracle worker Jesus. If it's you, just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Just going to lead you in a small repentance prayer and just solidify this moment. Just raise your hand. Awesome. Thanks for those hands. Great. Awesome. Can I just pray together? Jesus, I'm sorry that I'm so distracted. I'm sorry that I've been waiting at this pool when my healing has been behind me all this time. I'm sorry that I've been looking for life in something that's not you. But today I declare I want to change. I want to get healed. I want to work in purpose. And I'm ready to do whatever I need. Jesus, I choose you. Receive me this morning. I praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Hearing his word and believing in him, we have eternal life. Maybe tonight, today, you're not, you're not sure if you have eternal life. I've been trying to do things my way and doing the right things or I've never really had the opportunity to understand what Jesus is actually offering. You, you're not sure that you have eternal life. You're not sure that you've actually, re, you've passed that judgment line. You've, you've come from death to life. Because if you're here and you've never had the opportunity, you just want to re-emphasize that and make 100% sure. You want that assurance that your future is the resurrection of life, not the resurrection of judgment. I just want to pray with you as well. Just raise your hand. Okay, friends, and that means there's a full house of eternal life here this morning. Let's pray that we will use it to glorify God. Jesus, we just stretch out our hands to you and just say, this Zoe life that you've given us, I pray that we will make an effort and we will, we will prioritize hearing your word and keep believing in you. No matter our circumstances, no matter how loud life gets, you will be louder. And I pray that we will use this eternal life to glorify you on this short stint on planet Earth. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much, church. Thank you.